So uh, we are beginning a new series and uh, called Hindsight and Blindsides. And uh, last year we, we approached Easter by looking at that last week of Jesus' life and kind of telescoping that out over seven weeks and uh, following the events of Easter as they unfolded day by day. And this year, we're, uh, we're looking at things from a slightly different angle. We're starting further back in the timeline, but tracking through, particularly through the eyes of Peter. And so everything is focused always, as always in church, on Jesus and what happened, especially at Easter to him. But this time, we look at it from his point of view, knowing that he represents us a little more. And so uh, we'll be tracking through that story. And we begin this morning in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16 with two episodes that we, uh, we read for you uh, uh, at the beginning of the service uh, and just before my sermon that uh, are really back-to-back in the story and, uh, and really provide us with a good starting point for uh, what happens to Jesus at Easter. And so as Jesus is traveling with his disciples, uh, what we find in this story is that it begins with them traveling. They're headed to Caesarea in in Philippi. And then Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And so he raises that question. That question begins the whole conversation about what's to happen now. And so he says, what, who are people saying that I am? And uh, there are lots of possible answers. There are lots of different responses to Jesus. We read them throughout the pages of the New Testament as Jesus uh, encounters different peoples and different groups. They all have their perspective on who he is and what he's about and how they should respond to him. And, And so in this case, the disciples, they respond by saying, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And so they say, maybe you're John the Baptist, come back. Some are saying, some are saying Elijah. Others are saying Jeremiah, maybe one of the other prophets. They kind of all fall into this prophetic, uh, line of thinking, and, he sa- and they're saying, lots of people are saying these things. They wonder if you're one of these guys, come back. Like those guys, they spoke for God, you seem to be speaking for God, and this is the theory of who you are. And of course, as we, uh, as we read the rest of the New Testament, we encounter groups like the Pharisees, and, and we often come across them, and they approach Jesus from a completely different perspective. Their answer is, is that they're not so sure about Jesus, and in fact, Uh, We find in Matthew 12 and uh, verse 23, it says, The crowd was amazed. Jesus had just done a miracle. The crowd's amazed, and they said, Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? The Messiah was supposed to come in the line of David, like in in his family tree. And so could it be he's the one? And the Pharisees heard about that miracle, and they said, No, wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Like, obviously, that's what he's about. So very different perspective, right? Is he from God? Is he one of these prophets that came? Is he the, uh, working for the devil? Uh, or is he working for God? We don't know. And so all these people have a different perspective on who he is based on their background and based on the stuff they've experienced and based on what they're seeing. But they're all seeing this Jesus go around and do miracles and and teach what he's teaching. And some like what they hear and see and some don't like what they hear and see. Some think he's got to be from God and others think, no, he's from the devil himself. And of course... 
we find the same thing in our age, right? Some people respond to the story of Jesus and say, man, that's such incredible stuff. And others say, I don't want anything to do with that Christianity stuff. C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote, I am trying here to prevent any, anyone seeing the, saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. You follow him? And then he said, then Lewis goes on to write, either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So Lewis is saying there's no option for saying Jesus is a nice guy and that stuff he says about love, that's pretty nice stuff. I I can respect that but he's not God. He says, look, the claims that he made and the things he said about himself, he's either uh, a madman or he is God. And so that argument has been kind of called the, the liar, Lord, lunatic, right? The, the, Jesus is either a liar and he's trying to fool everybody into thinking he's better than he is and he's going around saying this stuff and he knows it's not true, but he's saying it about himself to puff himself up. Or he's a lunatic, and he really believes the stuff, but he's like, Lewis says, like a guy who thinks he's a poached egg. Like that nuts. So he's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or else he actually is the Lord God who came to earth as a human being and walked around here. And Lewis says, you don't really have anything in between because what he said, it's either true or it's nuts. And before him, there was John Duncan in 1859 and Watchman Nee in 1936. They kind of argue along the same lines. Like, like you either got to believe these things or or you got to take them as he says, as Lord. And of course, as the story unfolds here, they're telling him what everybody else is saying. And then Jesus says, well, what do you say that I am? And it's Peter that steps up and, and is the first one. I mean, he's often the first one to say something, right? Like he's kind of this guy, that brash, bold, always spewing something out. I don't know what that's like, but, but I imagine, you know, he's just one of those guys. I don't relate to him at all, right? And Peter, Simon Peter, he answers, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Like you got to understand too that, that the Israelites weren't expecting the Messiah to be the son of God. That wasn't like part of the package. The Messiah was a hero, a rescuer that would come from God and and that would uh, rescue his people. And so he'd be acting on behalf of God. He was coming with, you know, divine authority from God, but they didn't expect him to be the son of God. They didn't expect him to be God. But Peter gets both of these things right. He goes, not only are you the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And so he speaks this truth. 
for the whole group. And Jesus' response is to say, you couldn't have known this from anywhere but heaven. Like, like God is the only one who could have revealed this to you for you to be able to say these things about me and understand the truth. And so Jesus says, you got it right. Like you, you, you understand and, and you got this message from God. And, and he says, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn it from any human being. And then he says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. I like that part. And upon this rock, I'll build my church and the powers of hell won't conquer it. Can I get an amen to that one? So Jesus says, look, Peter, you got it so right. You're the rock. Like, I'm going to build the whole church on you. You're going to be a leader here. You're going to take people forward. The fact that you know this, the fact that you understand who I am, I'm going to build my church on you, and the gates of hell couldn't take it down. And so he pushes him into the limelight, and then he says, like, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and, and, and I'm giving you this authority. And in fact, if you bind something on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. And if you loose something on earth, it'll be loosed in heaven. He's like, you're going to be able to change things in the world in such a way that it affects things in heaven. I trust you that much. You got it so right that I am going to use you to lead the church forward. Can you imagine if you're Peter? Like you've been following Jesus, you've been watching him do miracles, you've been hearing him teach, you understand who he is, you love him, he's your savior, he's your messiah, your rescuer, your hero. He's like the greatest superhero ever, and, and you love him with all your heart, and he's saying these good things about you. He's saying, you got it so right, and I'm going to use you to lead the church. I can't imagine a better moment in Peter's life than that one moment when Jesus says all these great things about him. And he feels like, that's the guy whose opinion I care about the most, and he just said such glowing things. Such encouraging things. He's going to use me to, to help build his kingdom and he's going to let me be the rock he builds it on and the gates of hell couldn't even take down what he's going to do through me. And then as Matthew tells the story, he says the very next thing that happens, like this happens and Jesus says, you got it right and I'm going to use you in these great and powerful ways and I'm going to give you this authority. You got the keys of the kingdom and then Jesus starts to tell them in the next episode, he starts to tell them about all the things that are going to happen. He tells his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things. He's not specific about what the terrible things are. He doesn't tell them about all that yet, but he says... I I'm going to go through terrible things in Jerusalem when we get there and the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, they're going to turn on me. They're going to kill me. But on three days later, I'm going to rise again. So I'm going to go through this horrible thing and they're going to kill me and attack me and, and do all kinds of terrible things to me. And, and, and now Peter has something to say about that too, right? Because he's Peter. So Peter steps up and he goes, that doesn't sound right. Like, like, you're the Messiah, you're the Lord, but Jesus, this whole idea of you suffering and you going through that, you're the hero, you're the rescuer. You're, you're going to take all your enemies down. Like you're, They're not going to be able to touch you. And so he takes them aside and he begins to reprimand them. And he says, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. We're not going to let that happen. You think we're not going to back you up? 
and defend you. You're the rescuer. You're the hero of this story. They can't touch you. Only this time, Jesus' response is not exactly so glowing, right? And so one minute, Peter is the rock, and the next is, get behind me, Satan. And so everything turns around. Peter goes from being the rock to being Satan. He goes from, I'll build my church on you to get behind me. I'll put you out front, you're leading the way, and and I'm going to build my church on you, to you better get behind me, because you aren't going in the right direction. Trusted with the keys to the kingdom, he goes from that to you are a trap to me. Like, you could trip me up here. You could bring this whole thing down. It's kind of a twist, right? And if you're Peter, you go from the highest high where, where, where the guy you respect most in the world is saying good things about you, and then you say something that you're meaning to be helpful, you're trying to help Jesus understand what's going to happen to the Messiah. Jesus? You're the hero, and the hero wins. Like, I don't know if you've heard any of these stories, but that's what happens with heroes. Heroes win, and the villains lose. The good guys with the white hats win the day. That's what happens here. That's supposed to happen. This is the greatest story of good and evil, and good has to win. So you're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. And you got to feel for him when Jesus changes things and changes his response and speaks to him so harshly, you can imagine how much it hurt to hear those words if you're Peter. One minute he's getting commended for knowing who Jesus was and answering the question, who do you say that I am? And the next minute he's, he's trying to figure out the question of, of what it means to be the Messiah. He knows he's the Messiah, but what does it mean to be the Messiah? What happens next in the story? What does it mean for a Messiah to save you? And he and Jesus have very different ideas about what that is. And so Jesus tells him he's supposed to suffer, and Peter says, I don't think that's what's supposed to happen. See, Jesus and Peter both knew who he was. But Jesus knew what it means to be the Messiah. He knew the path to salvation. He knew what it would take to rescue us. And so Jesus is headed down that path, and Peter can't picture it that way. He doesn't understand it. It's not what he's ever been taught about the Messiah. And so even though he believes in Jesus, he believes in who Jesus is, he understands that truth. He doesn't know what that truth really means as it's walked out in the everyday world. And for Jesus, that's exactly what it means to be the Messiah, to suffer and to put himself on the line and to allow them to do that to him. That's exactly what needs to happen next. St. Augustine once said, we are an Easter people, and Alleluia is our song. He says about the church, we are an Easter people. Like, like the people of God are shaped by the fact of Easter. And that, more than anything else, makes us who we are as people. 
Like there's lots of truths we believe about the Bible. There are lots of things that we can draw out of there that help us, that teach us, that shape us and form us. But the biggest thing that makes us who we are is the cross and the resurrection. Easter is the center of everything else that we know about God. And so when Jesus says to Peter, I'll build this, my, my church on you, you notice he doesn't even take that back in the second episode. He doesn't say, well, well that's it, you're done, man. I'm not gonna use you now. And he knew up front when he said that to him that this was gonna happen too, but, but that can't coexist with this new idea that you never suffer. If you're doing the right thing, everything's gonna work out really perfectly and, and you're not gonna be in pain and you're gonna overcome every obstacle. He says that's not what we're about. And so Jesus corrects Peter and he does it with strong language because he knows how important it is not just that they believe in their heads that he's God and understand that he is the Messiah, he's the rescuer. They don't need to just understand that theological truth, but they need to understand what it means to be the Messiah and what it means to follow the Messiah. And so he talks to Peter and he corrects him, but then he turns to his disciples and he says, look, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? He says to them, his disciples, he turns to them and he says, look, you guys need to understand, this isn't just the path I'm walking. He knows he's headed for suffering and he's told them that. He knows himself that that suffering is gonna be the cross. And then he turns to them and remember, the cross hasn't happened yet. Like they don't know what it means to face the cross. All they know about crosses is that's that thing that they use to execute cute criminals. That's the thing that the Romans use to nail people up who have done bad stuff. And Jesus says, you know those things? You're going to need to take one up if you're going to follow me. If you're going to be one of my disciples, you're going to need to pick up your cross. And friends, let me tell you something about crosses. They only have one purpose. Like there's, there's a singular use for a cross. They don't do anything else with crosses except kill people. Crosses mean dying. And so Jesus says, look, if you want to follow me, a cross is essential equipment for the journey. Like you're going to need to pick up your cross because if you're trying to hang on to your life, if you're looking after your life, if you're trying to protect yourself and make sure you're safe and you're warm and you're pain-free and, and, and nothing goes bad for you, if you're looking after yourself in that way and, and trying to avoid any kind of suffering, you're never going to make it as a follower of me. If you try to hang on to it, you'll actually lose your life doing it that way. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. He says, if you, what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Like if you gain everything else, if everything goes smooth with you, if you get all the, the trappings of success and, and you've got everything, give yourself a comfortable lifestyle, but you aren't really following me, then none of that is worth anything. He says, if you want to follow me, 
You're going to have to give up your own selfish ways and, and, and give up what you want for you and give up all those wonderful feelings of looking after yourself and you're going to have to learn to do what I've just what I'm about to show you which is to be a servant of everyone to lower yourself to the lowest point remember what we talked about the apostle paul didn't like pull this out of the air right he got it from jesus and so there's this way that we follow him it's not enough to just believe in him and what he's done but to understand that the pattern that he, that he follows, the, the lifestyle that he's about, when he makes himself a servant of all and humbles himself to, to live in this world and to die a criminal's death on a cross, he's saying, if he, when he says, come follow me, you got to know where he's going. Like you need to know that that journey will always involve sacrifice that it will cost you something to follow Jesus. It's not all easy, and it's not all wonderful sunshine and roses and, and blessings, you know, poured all over you. It's not just that. You give up stuff to follow Jesus. But he says, look, what you're giving up only leads to death. But if you give up your life, if you give up your old life and your old selfishness and you become something different than just a selfish person looking after themselves and wanting to make your life comfortable, if you give up everything for me and follow me, you will actually save your life. You will get back a better life than you gave up because you will get real life. You get my life. And if you believe in me, it's not enough to just say that I'm the Lord, that I'm God, that I'm the Messiah. It's not enough to acknowledge who I am or even what I've done. You gotta understand that I, I, I created this pattern so you could follow it. And you're either with me or you're not. If you wanna be my disciple, you pick up your cross. And this is the way we're going towards suffering and towards discomfort and towards giving up me so that I can follow him. There's no other path. There's no other way to do discipleship according to Jesus. If you're following me, you need to know where I'm going. And there's a cross for me. It means there's a cross for you. Here's the beautiful thing. When you pick up your cross and you go, instead of death, you get life. Sounds backwards, but it's true. So Jesus speaks to the 12. He answers Peter and he says, look, you might think these two ideas are compatible, that I'm the Christ, that I'm the hero, the rescuer, and, and that we can avoid this whole path of suffering I'm talking about, and that that's not the right way to do it. But those things are so connected that you can't really believe this without it leading you to that. And his voice reaches out through the centuries and he speaks to us this morning. He says, hey, do you want to be my disciple? You prepared to follow me? Do you know where I'm going? Do you know what it might cost you to get there? 
You go from safety first and risk-free to risk first and safety-free. Like you gotta put everything on the line if you're gonna be my disciple. You gotta pick up your cross and you gotta use it to die to the old way of life and to get resurrected to whole new life. And it's an adventure, it's a ride, man. It'll take you places. But it'll cost you too. And you can't hold on to the old life and walk with him into real life. They don't fit together. They're not compatible. That way you serve yourself and you're about you. And this way you are following Jesus. And wherever he wants to take you and whatever you lose along the way is worth the journey, every step of it. And so he asks us, and he's pretty clear about the deal that we're making if we decide to follow him. But there's no other path worth walking. And there's no other life worth living but that life. 